0: Fast Forward Productions, the women are speaking. Welcome to Initiated Survivor, where we share our stories of survival and recovery and the true nature of wisdom and grit. I'm Kelsey Harper. I'm a survivor and a clinical psychologist. Welcome to our community of radical survivors. Here we discuss topics relevant to survivors, so please be mindful of your needs as some of these topics might be triggering. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Initiated Survivor. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. We are Listening to an interview I conducted earlier this year with Kat McGinty, she's back again. You previously heard her share her personal recovery story. In this episode, she's going to tell us about how she built her own business with survivors in mind. This is one of the interesting and fascinating things that I've been learning over the past year is how survivors have consciously built businesses designed specifically for the interests of survivors, what our survivor needs are, what kind of boundaries, what kind of safety we need in place and how to build a business that not only is open to establishing safety and making sure that survivors and that all people in the business are protected and safe from sexual harassment and misconduct and abuse, but also how to empower and enable survivors to feel strong and present as their true selves. So you're going to hear Kat talk about her process of really assessing survivor needs and providing for those needs and providing an environment that actually uplifts and celebrates survivors as well as creating a business that is really accommodating and creates space for us specifically. So please welcome back Kat McGinty. I'm excited for you to hear this welcome back again kat thank you so much for coming in again to talk to us about something very fun very exciting and very important thank you so much for having me back yeah so what we're talking about today i really like for a number of reasons so we're talking about how sharing our stories and taking the power that we have whatever power that is to share stories and to shed light on what's going on and to get deeply involved in changing the world for survivors, changing rape culture, changing the way that we're engaging is really important and how this can affect us. And I think for me, you know, personally, where I come from from this is that starting this podcast was really important to me for a number of reasons. And I think, like many survivors of trauma, but especially survivors of sexual trauma, there is kind of this experience for me it felt kind of like this burning fire that i would sometimes confuse for rage or maybe it was like positive rage because it was pushing me in like to really take action in some way and i was just noticing that of like getting more and more irritated with like the lack of services the lack of support the lack of conversation the sense that the world was not getting it which i think you know to me my, my little ragey mind was just like, that's a little bit too generous to the world. My mind would sometimes be like, yeah, the world is full of assholes. That's what this is, <laughs> and, you know, especially with some of the things that happened politically over the last several years. And it wasn't just what happened, like, you know, and I talk about this earlier in this series of, you know, the Brett Kavanaugh appointment and the hearings, that it, it wasn't just about that we have a rapist appointed on the Supreme Court, but how the public responded, how our elected officials responded, and seeing just so much of this, people don't understand. They don't get it. They don't understand why sexual assault and rape is so egregious and why that should be something that absolutely disqualify somebody for something like being a judge on anything, you know, or definitely sitting on the Supreme Court holding any kind of public office or position of power, my personal opinion, anywhere ever. And that generally people don't understand because there is this response of like, why does it matter? So what if he raped a few people? And it's, that's actually a huge, huge, huge thing. But also that we're continuing to pass that message down that we're raising generations of people in this world that that is just kind of actually really okay with this. So there's a part of me that is like, either they don't understand, like, because they don't understand the impact, you know, that how many lives are destroyed, even if we have to go and like this is the destruction of a life It leads to all of this impact in the community because this person's no longer accessible and available and is now going to take these other paths that may be very detrimental to the community in different ways of even just not being able to contribute and having to lead it to like, it'll probably cause the economy to suffer. You know, that I think they've done articles and studies on how rape affects the economy in such negative ways. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because it's like, you know, when people are, are sitting with a tremendous amount of trauma in such an invalidating culture, you know, they're going to require a lot of support and services. They're not going to be very functional in the sense of being able to participate in the capitalistic machine that drives our culture and society in many ways. And we require a lot of support, you know, or we are completely isolated and things like addiction and suicide and mental health issues are extremely high with our community. And that prompts a a huge response. But it's also like, it feels like we're trying to sell people on like, hello, I matter. And that was the like fiery rage that kind of pulled me into this. Cause it was like doing the podcast wasn't about like, I need to speak to the naysayers. It was kind of like, I want to connect with my people and be like, we're here and we're going to hold each other through this. I'm feeling better in my recovery to be able to start shouting this out, you know, and not letting people dismiss or invalidate it or devalue it because I'm a registered voter and I vote a shit ton among all the other things that participate in our culture and how we can build this kind of powerful community. Because I do truly believe also that part of the mechanism of devaluing and dismissing survivors and people who have experienced sexual violence is it to separate and isolate us so that we don't actually respond back and create the change that could really empower and embolden a lot of people and make some huge, huge change in our world. And so this is a long way of saying we're talking about all of this wonderful stuff. You're doing a lot of wonderful things, particularly around this stuff. And I'm so excited to get to share that with people today.
1: Thank you. I just like was nodding vehemently throughout the entire time you were saying that. Yeah. And you, yeah, you're so right. Because it's so easy to, with everything that's been going on, kind of split us and divide us. And when we as survivors feel like we're not being hurt, or like you said, when we're sitting here going, I matter, when we don't feel like we matter, the safest feeling is to retreat and go into safety. And like you said, then we're separated. So it's why I'm so grateful you have this podcast and you're giving voices to people who need to have them and who need to hear it. Because I think when we as survivors can become contributors to a safe space, we're not divided, you know, then we become more of the social norm of no, no, no. We get to be believed as survivors. We get to make space for our safe space. And that's so important. And none of us feel like we have that, you know, immediately after. Results happen.
0: Yeah, and I like what what you're speaking to of. Like, I do also feel it has to be done by survivors. We have this uncanny way in American culture to just kind of trust people who have never experienced things and are not experts. I mean, and tend to be tend to be a very specific group of people that holds power to make decisions about things that will never affect them, and how important it is that we create and cultivate these like ways of communicating with survivors directly about things that concern them of, you know, like maybe actually have survivors talk about what policies should be put on college campuses for handling allegations and reports of sexual assault. Maybe we should be actually consulted in that instead of the college boards or administrators that continue to deny and dismiss allegations. We should be in these rooms. We should be having these conversations. And in many ways, you know, we've seen a lot of the movements recently in holding some of these like really huge figures accountable for their actions took huge movements of people standing together, which is very unfortunate that we have to have. 2735 however many sometimes up in the 70s hundreds of people at times coming forward to not just bring someone to justice, but just to get them to stop. Because I think that was actually the thing that was the most troubling for me was like, this is like, we're having sides fight over whether or not Harvey Weinstein gets to continue to have access to people he can harm and exploit. You know, we're having these two sides argue about whether Larry Nassar gets to continue to victimize gymnasts. Like, what? And that we have to have... (laughs) So many people be like, hey, just saying, this guy's a predator. Maybe he shouldn't be allowed to do things to harm people. And that one person saying that makes our culture just kind of be like, no, I don't know. Are you sure? Are you sure we don't want this? And that's one of the things also I'm wanting to change is that the conversation moves away from we need to protect a predator's rights, quote unquote, to be able to continue preying upon people and victimizing people, being the priority over to, you know, we need to protect and we need to believe survivors first and foremost and make changes immediately in those interests first before coming to the place of like, what do we need to do to make sure this predator still gets what he wants out of life? Anyways, I can obviously go off so much on all of these things, (laughs) bringing it back in. Can you share a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing and a lot of the work that you've been doing around your positions and around the power that you have to really offer support and create change in your world?
1: Sure. So I work in the entertainment industry, which was the hot topic of conversation and and one of the birthplaces of the Me Too, not movement, because the Me Too movement's been around for a long time. But when it came out about Harvey Weinstein... And Me Too as a movement resurfaced, it sparked a lot of conversation in my community, in the entertainment community, especially not limited to amongst women. A lot of us started very quietly going, Yeah, oh yeah, I've had something like that happen, or so and so has done something like that in the, you know, in the office. But again, mostly whispers, because I think what was so powerful about the corner of the Me Too movement within the entertainment industry is that our jobs are constantly changing. I am a freelance individual. I work show to show, I work job to job. I need to network and I need to have a reputable image to be hired again. So when something happens in the form of sexual assault, sexual harassment, any type of office place abuse, there's the added layer for me and those you know, around me in my field to go, "If I do this, will I be invited back to this office? If this is received incorrectly, am I going to be able to pay my bills?" Because for us, we don't have pensions, we don't have severance. We are on our own the next day. And it's not even if people do have pensioners that, it's always such an intense feeling. We just have less HR power in our corner in this particular industry. So when survivors, and people who had experienced all different types of office harassment started speaking up and then started posting that me too hashtag all of a sudden this network of strength just felt like it rose from the ashes and we could talk about it and what i found really interesting was that i had bosses going i saw that you posted that me too You know, when we were all back in the early days copying and pasting hashtag me too, I have experienced this. I didn't realize it was so prevalent. And he goes, That really happened to you? And I said, Oh, yeah, it's happening all the time. Respectfully, you're in a position of power. And you're, you know, in his case, he was a male in a position of power. So it's statistically probably not happening to you as much. But I appreciate you asking and starting the conversation. And that particular conversation made me feel like I can talk about this a little bit. And what I found helpful was to talk about it in a way that brought the other person in and not necessarily because it's so easy to get so angry and go, yeah, how did you not know this was happening? Like, come on, we've been standing in a crowded room screaming for years and you haven't known. What i found to be helpful for me in my position is to kind of bring them in and go, yeah, this hasn't been happening. But since you asked, thank you for asking, here's what's happened to me. And I'm one of hundreds, thousands of people this has also happened to. So I only had one trick in my book before the Me Too movement. When something happened in my office, I have been kissed. I have been grabbed. I have been touched. I have been Asked who I would like to have sex with in the office. It's run the gamut. You know, being in an office that doesn't have an HR (laughs) really allows for a lot of insidious behavior to happen. And so the only tool I had in my toolbox for how to handle that at work was to finally work up the courage and say, this is making me really uncomfortable. And the first time I said that at work, the guy who said something about my cleavage, I had a t-shirt on and he, he mentioned my cleavage. And I said, you know what? That makes me really uncomfortable. And he looked like I... Like stole his dog. He had no idea, which was just like so absurd. I started laughing. He goes, Oh my gosh, I had no idea. And I said, Yeah, <laughs> that makes me really uncomfortable. Let's talk about something else. And that works. And it helped me get through those incidents. And then me too happened. And then it felt like, Oh, I don't have to do this on my own in a pocket. There's a lot of us who are going through this and a lot of us who are willing to speak up now. And so I think, you know, we all went through our different triggers and I I don't know anyone who's the survivor of assault who was like, I got through the Me Too movement feeling empowered and unscathed. I think it brought up a lot of trauma for all of us. Felt like we were reliving it. That Kavanaugh trial was merciless and, and brutal. Oh my gosh, just every day having to listen to that. And I don't know about you, but for me going, oh, here's all the people who aren't so sure about this. Therefore, I need to protect my story because I don't want to hear their opinion about my story. Was was that the same for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was
0: definitely like, here are all the people that I can't talk to and mixed with the fiery rage of like, well, fuck them. (laughs) like um, (laughs) You know, and which probably like, obviously it led to something really good, you know, although extremely painful at the time that kind of combination of fear and rage is really uncomfortable and very painful. And I think for me, it was the devastating thing was when people like started saying like, well, what if he did? What if he is a rapist? Who cares? And I'm like, (laughs) And and it's one of those things where it, it was devastating, not because I was shocked that people said that. I was like, yeah, I, I knew you were thinking this the whole time. I just thought you were like, not like too ashamed to say it, but now you're not shamed. <laughs> like, the idea that that was people were speaking to something, again, unashamedly about our culture and opening up that possibility of like, yeah, why don't we actually deepen our connection to rape and allow, not just allow it, but really reinforce and, and reward it in, in huge ways. For me, being on the outside of the entertainment industry and like, and you know, I have a little bit of inroads because I've worked with some people in the industry and and been able to bear witness to their experiences of it. But on the outside, it feels especially hearing about Everything that came out with Harvey Weinstein that illuminated so much about the culture made it feel very like Wild Wild West and Mafia combined together of like, this is a lawless place. It's everybody out for themselves. And also there's like these really overlord boss, like really violent overlord bosses that somehow can pull strings. And I think for me one of the like most important and very, very, gut-wrenching stories was Uma Thurman when she came out and started talking about hers and that because everybody was like, well, why didn't everyone report? Why didn't people talk about this sooner? And first of all, just kind of like you said of like, there's that anger of like, we've been talking about it this whole time. Everybody knew about Harvey Weinstein. Everyone knew it was a running joke in the community you know, with this kind of understanding that he could completely destroy people's careers because he had that level of power. And and you speaking to that of like, it's our livelihood, you know, that, that, It's not just about like you wouldn't get a job. It's about that like you would have to completely change your entire life in order to go elsewhere. And even that might actually be a problem. But then Uma Thurman comes out and talks about how her life was threatened and how violent things started happening to her as a result of Harvey Weinstein's sexual predator behavior. And I think what was so Important and harrowing about that story is that I don't think any survivor was surprised to hear that there are threats to people's life and physical safety as a way of continuing to perpetuate the power of rapists because that's what we lived in. We all lived in the threat to our lives as a result
1: of what happened. Exactly. It's so, I feel myself getting enraged talking about this all over again, which. My instant reaction is to go, calm down, calm down. But, but then my secondary, which I try to listen to more now, is to go, use it as fuel. Use it as fuel. It, for those of us, I mean, the industry is shifting so much. Thanks in part, mostly, to that Me Too movement and those incredibly brave women coming out going, no, this happened to me. And I'm not going to stay silent anymore. And so I, now I think for those of us who are still in the industry who made it through because plenty of survivors left because it's, it's scary. It's really scary when you feel powerless, not only in your job, but in, for your sexual safety at work, it's so absurd that there wasn't safety in that, but there is more now and there's more women who are rightfully, it, I keep saying women, which isn't fair. I want to be really clear about that. There's more survivors. Unfortunately, I don't think we've given male or non-binary survivors yet as many tools and opportunities as we have women. So I'm just owning that, that I let women slip, but survivors, we are slowly but surely using that as fuel now. And so what I think is important, at least for me going forward, when Me Too happened, I was finally in a place in my career where I thought, well, I don't want to work with someone who makes me feel uncomfortable anymore. And if that person's making me uncomfortable. I'm so lucky now that I'm at the point in my career where I can go, I'm not going to work here. I'm going to go back to this company or this company where I feel safe and where I feel hurt. And so that was kind of step one in realizing, oh, okay, that I have some privilege now. Now I'm in a position where I can make some choices where I won't be starving if I, God forbid, have to leave this job. And then that turned into slowly but surely. Well, if you're in that position of privilege, you can't just use it for yourself because Sarah at the front desk, or these young women, I keep saying it. Can I? Here's
0: the, this is actually, it's a whole nother topic that I'm, I'm planning a series around. Yeah. And And the reason being is, there's a couple of things about this conversation around the gender identity of victims or survivors that I think is really important and interesting. And in part, what I've been digging to that feels like is coming to the truth which is that rape culture makes rape a problem for the victim to manage and we have also decided because the vast majority of victims are cisgendered women that therefore it is a women's issue and so we center women in the conversation of it and we kind of get stuck on arguing who gets to be a victim, because all of us survivors think anyone who's a survivor gets to be a survivor. Like we we're a pretty open community. We're like, like you're you're describing men, women, you know, non-binary, all genders are welcome here. All genders are here, whether whether we welcome them here or not, They're all here. And it's rape culture that keeps telling us that we need to make the conversation about women victims and because to me i'm like the actual issue and this is something that i think it's jackson Katz talks about that we engage in a conversation around violence and center the victims and make it seem like a victim issue and it makes it so that the issue doesn't get solved like violence against women for example And he talks about how it's really important for us to actually put the perpetrator on there because 98% of perpetrators of sexual violence are cisgendered men. If we were to rotate or, or orient the issue, actually speaking from not necessarily centering the problem on victims... And therefore, assuming that that it's a women's issue, but actually centering it on predators where we were talking about, like, we really need to figure out what's going on with these rapists. Like, you know, we would be talking primarily about men rapists, you know, men who rape um, rather than women who survive rape. So, So in part, all of this is to say, like, you're definitely making some powerful efforts, which is really good that, you know, you're speaking to that, you know, and it's something that I think. We're all continuing to learn as we're also shedding more and more of rape culture that we've internalized. That I mean, as survivors, we've probably internalized rape culture almost the most and in many ways are the ones that are the most aware of it and so are, are shedding it more and more to even be aware of that. There are so many people that have no understanding about who really are survivors and assume that this is just a women's issue and continue going on that. and you know therefore decide to link it to all kinds of misogyny and sexism and dismiss it as an issue together all that is to say you know offer yourself a lot of room around you know speaking about women versus all survivors kind of thing
1: well thank you as frustrated as i get still because i'm you know obviously we're changing in such a great way and i want to have a bigger conversation about it not being a gender specific issue i am glad i did that because it is nice to make that room for it not all perpetrators are men not all victims are women and I want to be less specific about who it's happening to or being done by and more about survivors finding the safe space they need
0: yeah exactly
1: yeah so I guess that's a good like reminder for myself instead of referring to it as a women's issue or as like a you know men are the perpetrators to just keep using that word survivors which is something I would like to work on Just catching it myself and talking to you. I will say, I think specifically in my worldview, the companies I've worked at, I've known a lot more women. As you said, it is much more, I think a large majority of survivors are women. And so in my entertainment community, it's been mostly women who have at least opened up to me about it. And so from there, those of us who are in a position of power go, well, then we need to use our privilege to speak up and say, hey, What you're doing can make someone else uncomfortable if it's a microaggression hey 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 like i get what you're saying i know your intention just know that this could be taken this way all the way to this is completely inappropriate behavior and we will be doing something about it because i feel empowered but the person who's probably the most direct receiving end of your behavior isn't going to have the safe space and the power and the financial freedom to do something about it so now that's my job and that's the job of my peers and so what that's kind of manifested towards now is i ended up starting my own production company a couple of years ago and our first project happened the same week my company started and it is centered around someone who works with refugees around the world and many of their stories involve sexual assault and being survivors themselves And then we decided because of the nature of the content we want to make, and because we, after years and years of not working in safe spaces, we want to be in a safe space. As of now, this won't always be this way, but as of now, my production company is a female-based company. We only have a couple projects going now. Slowly but surely, we'll be opening it up to... Ideally, it's a safe space for people where that rape culture behavior isn't going to be accepted it's going to be a space where everyone can feel safe. For now, it's a safe space for women. And that space is really important because the type of work we're doing is working with other survivors. We've been in talks about working with a domestic abuse survivors group in Arizona. It's very important that we're all females working on that team because we can't have men on the crew because it doesn't feel safe for our survivors to come in and even sit down, nevertheless, tell their stories. So for now, that's what my journey has looked like as a survivor and and being of service to the cause, it will continue to ebb and change and grow. But for now, it's about creating a safe space for survivors, survivors within our industry, within the entertainment industry, and for the people we're reaching out to and creating a safe space for them to tell their stories.
0: That's wonderful. And, and I think it, it's interesting because at the beginning when you were talking, you know, you felt that you had reached a certain you know position of security that enabled you to be able to speak out about what you need and be able to go towards safer places and work in safer companies and projects and stuff and that your thought was like oh well since i have this privilege now i need to do this for others and what came to my mind was like you actually didn't have to do that you did not have to decide to share this with other people and there are many people that would not have decided to do that and it, that was a very it sounds like it It was a very just kind of linked thought of, I have this privilege, so therefore I'm going to share it and use it for other people to get this. And now it's it's resulted in actually having a whole production company that is through and through in all of its processes and the way that it's constructed and how you run things, trauma informed and survivor centered. I mean, that's huge and that's beautiful and it's 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 almost like there's part of me that wants to zero in on that moment that decision point for you and and figure out what that was because like i said like that act you didn't have to do this you could have just been like great i feel secure now that's awesome and moved on with your life but you decided to actually use it to Create something for a lot of people to spread this support and the safety and to continue to be doing so much around that. so when you go back if you can, go back in time to that moment, what helped you with making that decision that I have this privilege, so now I need to use it to benefit more people than just myself
1: mm, that's a good question. I don't I, the best answer I can give to that is is that. My recovery from being an assault survivor and now a thriver is thanks in part to feeling a part of a community and feeling like other people shared their strength with me when I didn't have it. And that's why I'm okay. And then I'm in recovery from an eating disorder, which is just so tightly wound in with my recovery as a survivor. And part of my recovery in that is being of service, you know? getting out of my own head and doing for others is the best way to get away from acting out with my eating disorder. When I'm having, you know, panic and being triggered, I can totally turn all of that off. If I can recenter my brain and go, well, can I be of service with this? And that was, I mean, I have to give most of the credit to that to the survivors community that I've been so fortunate to be a part of and the recovery community that I've been a part of. I wouldn't have recovery as an assault survivor or in my eating disorder without people going, when you have, you give back. The people I look up to the most are those who embody that. And so I'm so grateful to have had that modeled for me. And it's so empowering to feel that I'm not a victim anymore and that I can own being a survivor and own going, no, 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 I'm going to create my own safe space now. And I want other people in it. So it just made sense you know, it feels so powerful to own recovery. It feels so powerful to own being like, no, 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 I'm not putting up with that anymore. So it just made sense to go, well, yeah, I, if I'm going to start my own company, well, then hell yeah, it's going to be a safe space.
0: That's awesome. And I, I think what you're speaking to is it's kind of, and, and it's a, a theory of mine of that Well, and I think it's a shared theory of many people. We have a lot of cultures coming out, like really saying this is kind of how things are, that humans' instinctual nature is to be in community. And that's why when we connect to communities, we see things like recovery and thriving happening so rampantly that, you know, it just spreads like wildfire. People get into recovery and and feel better about life, but that there also is this sense of, That the idea of giving back or or being of service to community and connecting in is not necessarily a conscious choice so much as a natural step. I think something that you spoke to earlier, too, is that it's also an integral part of recovery in the sense that it happens very naturally, but it also becomes something that helps us as well in our recovery. And like you said, there's so much power in being able to be of service to community, but also with what you're describing of like building a world that functions exactly in the way that you needed the world and need the world to exist. There is something really cool about that of like saying like, I built this exactly how I want and need it to be exactly how survivors want and need it to be. And now it gets to operate in this beautiful, safe space way and how much power there is in that. And I do love the demonstration of how instinctual community can be. Like there just isn't much thought put into like the natural step next is that this then expands out and that what I do is expanding out. You know, it's a value that was passed down through through this healing community, through, you know, our kind of like recovery ancestors in a way, you know, that this value gets passed down. And it very naturally, I think it just lights up the instinct within us of like, we're, we're communal creatures. And that feels like we're getting back into our right self, our true self, our authentic self is when we are playing a pivotal role as a part of a community. That's So, that's beautiful that you're doing that.
1: Well, thanks. I love how you said that. It lights up that instinct. That is, that's so true. That's exactly how it feels.
0: Yes. It's like, it, it makes me think about, spoiler alert, the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when all the Slayers get, get activated, you know, that sense of like, we all, we all get like our inner Slayer activated and connecting to community through this recovery. Mm-hmm well said. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And are there things that if people wanted to find you or hear more about what you're working on, are there links that we can share in the show notes, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, we're still, you know, like a baby production company, but we're wanderingcatmedia.com. That's our website. And we have an Instagram under the same moniker. We've got a couple projects coming out soon. COVID has slowed them down, but they're they're about to trickle out. So if you can follow us, subscribe on the website or follow our Instagram. We're really excited to start sharing those stories soon.
0: Oh, excellent. So yeah, we will definitely put that in the show notes and tag you and all of the, all the materials too for
1: this. Thank you so much. it's Much appreciated
0: absolutely well thank you so much for sharing this with us today and talking about how we use our privilege for good here
1: thank you thank you so much for creating this space again i i so appreciate you and what you're doing
0: absolutely thank you I am a clinical psychologist and love to share these skills and tips to build resilience and recovery. However, this podcast is not a replacement for psychotherapy or mental health care. We have links in our show notes where you can connect with a provider or you can get a referral from your primary doctor if you wish to receive those services. If you are struggling today or wish to speak to someone, know that Rain is always available 24 hours a day seven days a week to offer support guidance and referrals for help you can speak to someone right now at Rain at the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673 the initiated survivor is a podcast written and hosted by me kelsey harper it is produced and edited and all-around awesome podcast magic is casted by sam valentine the beautiful music you heard is written and performed by michael carpenter jr if you wish please leave us a sweet review so other survivors can find this podcast and get connected as well